We just finished an 11-week series on the stories of redemption, and I was blown away by the attentive spirits uh, that you brought to worship each week in person, and I have no doubt that those who continue to watch online have done the same. After all, a reminder for me and for you is preaching is not preaching if there are no hearers, and the scripture proclaims that we are not only to be hearers of the word, but doers. So today is a message to take the heart of redemption and what we have learned and what we have seen from Scripture and apply it and take action. But before we do that, let's pray together. God, thank you for the opportunity we have once again to be together in this format. I pray that today uh, we would come, I would come with what you've prepared for me to share with those watching and those a part of this but also that those watching would be doers of the word. Thank you for that command for us and that reminder today in Jesus' name, amen. In taking action, I want to remind you of a few things. And the first is this, redemption compels us to serve others in order to lead others to redemption. As we've seen over the past 11 weeks, when the power of redemption is grasped, that we have been bought by a price, Jesus Christ, it cannot leave us where we were before we heard the truth. It must transform us to serve others. We examined that idea two weeks ago in the series. But today I want to become even more practical in guiding us toward being on mission together to shape our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, when I was in college at Mars Hill, uh, my freshman year, I made the decision to pledge a fraternity. Now, if you don't know what that process of becoming a part of a fraternity is like, then let me just give you the quick outline. You decide on rush night, a gathering of a bunch of people to spend time with the people from the fraternity that you have chosen or you think you've chosen. Then if you are so lucky, you get an invitation to become a pledge that fraternity. And if you agree, you're assigned a big brother who is in charge of making sure you do what the group dictates that you do for the next six to 10 weeks, doing some of the most ridiculous things that you would have never done on your own. Now you do all this with the hope of being initiated into this group and somehow you enjoy it. Now, It's important to note that you do all of that voluntarily. You even pay dues, money to get in. It's as if you sign up to be the personal servants of a bunch of upperclassmen. It's really a crazy ordeal when you think about it. And did I mention that you you volunteer for this treatment? No one forces you to do it. No one demands it. But for me... Stepping into this role was a simple decision because I knew the reputation of these young men on my college campus. They were leaders. They were well thought of. Most of them were growing in their faith. Several of them were going into ministry and still are in ministry. And they were known as the gentlemen on campus. I wanted to be a part. I volunteered to be a part of that group. But even still, several times I asked myself, did you really sign yourself up for this role? And the answer was yes. Maybe you volunteered for something in life that leaves you wondering and scratching your head like, why did I do this? 
You're coaching that ball team again after you promised you would never do it again. Or you're a chairperson on a committee at work or at church and you ask, why did I do this? The reality is that we usually do these things because there's something larger at stake. Maybe more than just the paycheck or the pat on the back. Many times it's because our children are involved or a family member and we volunteer to serve because there is a bigger purpose, a bigger reason at hand than simply the task in front of us. In many cases, we're agreeing to a mission or a movement that we hope is bigger than ourselves. Today, I want to remind you, maybe reveal to you, how important it is to find a place to join us as a church on a mission to shape our community by sharing the grace of Jesus. If you're at home, I would challenge you to turn to 1 Corinthians, where we will be in Scripture today. It is a book written by the Apostle Paul, who was a perfectly imperfect picture of redemption. You can read his story in Acts chapter 9. We realize that the church is experiencing, the church of Corinth is experiencing all kinds of difficulties and division in this young congregation. But especially in the town of Corinth. Because Corinth, well, it created the phrase, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Immorality was impacting the church. False teachings were creeping in. And Paul, chapter by chapter in First and Second Corinthians, unleashes teaching to address each issue. One of the issues that the church had was that they, since they were free in Christ, trusting in Christ, then they believed that they were privileged and could essentially do whatever they felt was permissible. Paul is going to bring them together and he's going to remind them of something that he was willing to live out each day in front of them and he expected the same of them. I summarize it this way. The church is called to a greater purpose than personal freedom or rights. The church is called to preach the message of Jesus Christ. As we look through this lens, again, the church is called to a greater purpose than personal freedom or rights. The church is called to preach the message of Jesus Christ. Now, as we continue, let me clarify when I say church, I'm not referring to the building that I'm standing in or even the website of which you're watching. Rather, anyone, especially a collection of people who claim to be followers of Jesus. So you are the church. The scripture we're going to be reading today is found in 1 Corinthians 9, chapters, uh, chapter 9, verse 19 through 23. And in this passage, there's a very strong phrase that I want to lean into as we begin. The phrase is used in verse 19. It says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. The phrase, I have made myself a servant, is in Greek, it's only two words. It's I and slave. The word servant in this passage comes from the word doulos. Doulos is a Greek word, and it simply means slave. 
But in verse 19, doulos is the root word, but the way the word is used based on the ending and the conjugation, I know that some of you grammar people are getting excited. Maybe that's not you, but, but this is important. Based on how it's used, what Paul is saying, the ESV translates beautifully. I have made myself a servant. The wording used in that day for this type of servant was a bond servant. Let me explain. It's important as we move forward. A bond servant was a person who, in this time period, had fulfilled their obligations as a purchased slave to their master. They had fulfilled their obligations and were said to go free. But notice Paul's wording. For though I am free from all, Paul is free in his citizenship as a Jew. He is also a Roman citizen, but he is free to do as he wishes. But, he says, although I'm free to do those things, I have made myself a servant to all. Paul is saying he was free, but he voluntarily became a bond servant to everyone. The Corinthian reader knew of this practice where a slave had worked off their payments. They're set free. Yet, in some cases, the previous servant realized that their master had cared for them, had supplied for them in miraculous and sometimes beautiful ways. So then they would voluntarily come back to that master under their obligation without obligation, and they would commit their life to that person all over again, voluntarily. This common practice was that the master would then mark the slave with an earring and he would walk through the community and the people would know and see that person must have a wonderful master because he volunteered to come back under the leadership and the service of this master. The person that would have been noticed as a bond servant was literally saying, I willingly submit and surrender myself. I'm free to go, but I voluntarily surrender. Paul's statement would have set the tone for the remainder of these verses. As they, the church, they're recognizing and they're wrestling with their freedom, but he was recentering them and us. That we, like Paul, we are free in Christ. But Paul had willingly surrendered his plans, his pursuit, and his direction in life in order to do what, verse 19 tells us, to win people to Jesus. So putting all this together again, reading verse 19 in its entirety. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Paul is giving us the next step as a believer, as the redeemed. We're called to live a life of serving others becoming a voluntary servant to everyone? Why? To win 
or gain as many people as possible to give their lives to the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. I love that almost in the middle of 1 Corinthians in its entirety is this instruction. It's a warning, even discipline, that he's offering to the Corinthian church. He's attempting to remind them of the why. Why should we give up certain aspects of our lives? And why should we be generous? And why should we, and why do we live with a higher calling of morality? Why do we love in ways that are confusing to many? Paul clarifies, to gain or win, to lead people to Christ. Now to win here is it's not a confusing statement. It, it means to introduce someone to the message of Jesus with the hope that they would respond, that if they take the message to heart, that they would repent, that they would change their ways, they would trust in Jesus. But Paul knows what he must do in order to make this happen. He has to sacrifice his own time, his own agenda, his own gifts, his own plans for life. Why? To win as many as possible to Jesus. Now this, this has become our mission, our calling, our next step of faith and obedience, to win as many as possible. Notice what he says next. If you have your own Bible and you want to pause here, it would be a, a great moment to pause and go through 19 through 22 and highlight or circle a few phrases. I became or I have become. And then the other phrase, I might win. I became one phrase, I might win. As we walk through these May they jump out at you when we read these verses. Verse 20 through 22. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. Paul is giving the believers in the church of Corinth, the readers of the day, these words. I became what was necessary to communicate the message of Jesus Christ. He is honest. He's direct. He's clear in the truth of Christ. Our brokenness and our need for a Savior, a Redeemer, and a love that we're given in Jesus. But what he does, he takes this truth and love into the context of the unbeliever. He leans into their struggles and experience to bring the refreshing truth of Jesus into a weary world. And this is, this is still our challenge today. Now, I think we must be careful here. I don't think for a moment that Paul is trying to communicate to us that we are to abandon our morality or our convictions to reach someone. But we need to carefully evaluate our actions around various people 
that we spend time with and make sure we function in a way around them that would open the door that would lead them toward Jesus Christ and his message rather than away from Jesus. As I was studying, I found a a very old commentary in my office about this passage. And I picked it up and took a quick glance and I read the author's thoughts on this passage. The, The author shares a story of an old pastor who was also a farmer who knew how to become all things to all people. It went on to say to the countryman, well, he'd had to learn to talk country. He talked dancing to the dancing master. To the farmer, he learned to talk about farm management, thatching and equipment. To the hunter, how to pack your own ammunition and tanning. He talked about law to the lawyer, pigs with the pig breeder, diseases with the doctor, and so on. The author concluded this little section by saying, He had the art to come alongside people and in doing so, their hearts were open to his message. I I love the simplicity of that statement. He had the art to come alongside people and in essence, by opening his ears and his heart to their most basic needs in life, his listeners opened theirs. This is the center of Paul's becoming all things to all people. The reality is we live in a world that we have surrounded by, at least for me, I've often surround myself with people who only think or act or vote or read or communicate and do what I do and agree with what we agree upon. But in doing so, I'm alienating myself from those who do not know Christ. Therefore, I, and I dare say we, are not winning. We're not gaining people to a relationship with Jesus. After 11 weeks, I think we can all agree that redemption is important. It's crucial to an unbelieving world. And because of that, we must be willing to enter conversation and relationships not with the goal of being right, but with the goal of being present and gaining the ears and the hearts of those who desperately need a relationship with Jesus. Paul knew that to win some to Christ, he would have to function differently in different societies as to not offend them with his actions, but retain the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. He became, he became, he became, so he might win, so he might win, so he might win, so he became. When Paul entered a city, he went to the synagogues first, to the Jews. Scripture says if they rejected him, then he went to the Gentiles. These groups were separated from each other, physically, emotionally, during this time period. One group understood and lived by the law of the Old Testament, One did not have a clue, nor did they want to. Depending on who Paul was speaking with, he would act accordingly. He would teach accordingly, using their language and their ideas and to lead into a discussion regarding Jesus. Yes, he was careful not to offend them due to their customs and their way because Paul even proclaimed that he knew that the idea of the cross of Jesus would be offensive enough. 
He had a distinct, direct, and powerful calling that serves as a reminder to the church of Corinth, but also to us. I don't often use the message interpretation much in my preaching, but I do love how it summarizes these verses. Listen to these words. Even though, 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23, according to the message, even though I am free of the demands and the expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Did you hear the passion from Paul 2,000 years ago? He wants to be right in the middle of it. But why? The why is a part of verse 23. And if you would, even in your home, proclaim this verse with me. Verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Do you pick up on the seriousness in his commitment to the mission? He does it all for the gospel. We have sinned. We are in need of a savior. Christ came as a payment for our sins. We can trust him. He will forgive us. He will cleanse us. He will redeem us and use us to win some, to share in the blessings of the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul is free to do whatever he desires in life, but he voluntarily surrenders his rights and privilege in order to preach Jesus. Redemption compels us to serve others in order to lead others to redemption, to serve to come alongside others. Why? That some will believe. Today is a great day to talk about this picture of people being won over to Christ. In our services Sunday, today, in person, we have at least eight people being baptized. Each of those people are a glimpse of why we do what we do at Richford, to win some to Jesus Christ. But if we break that down even further, to get to that moment, each of those people have come to Christ through conversation with their family members, relationship with volunteers. They may be through Awana, through preschool, through children, through student ministry, through our worship ministry. What I'm trying to get at is this. When we ask you to be a partner with us, to serve on mission with us, in various roles of ministry at Rich Fork, we are not asking for you to deliver snacks to preschoolers or to simply change diapers. We're not asking you to just say hey to people on a Sunday morning because you have nothing else to do on a Sunday morning. We don't invite you to build a ramp because you have a hammer. Nor do we ask you to give of your time and your talents and your finances 
in order to collect your or my community service hours. We provide opportunities so that some might be saved. You see, you become a mission partner with us. When you rock and care for one-year-olds so that their parents, while you're singing a song about Jesus into their ear, their parents can hear the truth of Jesus so that some might be saved. You join us in the mission. You become a mission partner with us when you sit with a, a special needs student in order to allow parents to breathe for just one hour a week. You become a mission partner with us in teaching children or students or back on Sunday afternoon soon with Awana to teach, to train, to craft in each of those students a biblical worldview that God has entrusted us with. Why? So that they might save some. You're on a mission with us when you go as a group has even gone this weekend to do disaster relief in the mountains of North Carolina that are hit by floods so that they might save some. You are on mission with us when you support financially ministries and mission agencies that we endorse who are meeting the needs of, as we've seen this week, Haitians who have nothing to cling to in their region of the world. We we have a view that an act of generosity to these groups of people, those serving them, is an extension of God's grace to win some. The same is true as we are caring for, praying for. Some of you sharing social media posts about those that are suffering and waiting and hiding for their lives in Afghanistan as missionaries and servants. But you know what? They get it. They willingly became servants on mission. And unfortunately, many of them targets in Afghanistan. Why? So that some might be saved. And some of the text messages that I've read regarding several of these missionaries is not, woe are we for being here in this dangerous situation, but instead may God use us to win some to Christ based on how we suffer. If you're watching, then I could go on and on about how to help and pray and support those who are becoming whatever is needed to win some. But if I, if we can grasp this truth from Paul, we could sincerely impact those around us, not simply on a Sunday morning and serving, but in coming alongside a broken world. Realizing that every action, every role to be on mission together, it's worth it. Why? I will become so that some might be saved. I will become so that some might be saved. I will become a servant in this area. I will become a missionary. I will become a fellow co-worker, co-labor, I will become so that some might be saved. I realize COVID has caused some of you, even those watching, to pause and volunteering for various roles at church and in the community. But I assure you the needs are greater than ever. But I'm not begging you to serve in order to fill up the last free minute of your week with something else. 
Instead, I'm asking you to prayerfully ask, what do I need to do to become so that I might be a part of saving some? What opportunity am I gifted to step into, to leverage my gifts, to impact others that some might be saved? What area can I support that some might be saved? What relationship do I need to step into to to come alongside that some might be saved? We have been redeemed for a purpose. We, the church, have a calling. We, the church, have a command. I pray that each of you realize that you're a part of that purpose to win some to Christ. Would you pray with me today? God, as we walk through Paul's attitude towards serving others and being on mission, he was very clear. He became, he became, he became, he became to win, to win, to win, to win. He's very clear in that we must become, we must come alongside all people so that we might reach some. We are the church. We are called to that same purpose. We are gifted in many different ways. We have many different skill sets, abilities, levels of opportunity to help. But all of us must grasp that I must become so that I might win some to Christ. God, that is not a statement that is built on us, on our power, on our strength. That is not what Paul is saying. That is not what I am commending. But God, I am leaning into your word to know that there are those that are watching, those that have responded, those that are with us in person this week that need to become, fill in that blank so that some might come to Christ. So that some might be one for Jesus. Thank you for the examples of those that we've seen all over the world that are becoming that, whether it is in the mountains of North Carolina serving, whether that is in Haiti, whether that is in Afghanistan, whether that is fighting wildfires, whether that is serving someone locally, through fostering, through caring, whether that is someone on a Sunday morning rocking preschoolers. May we see in all those things so that we might win some. God, may we take our volunteering and serving and look at it with a bigger, more important perspective, not just to fill in our schedule, but so that some might be saved. Thank you for allowing us to be used in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, I want to thank you for joining us each week as we walk through our time in God's word together. Thank you for joining us online and continue to follow us. And when you're ready, step back into the room.